All right. We're back with another episode. I'm Lee. I'm Miss Elizabeth. And what we thought we would do for this episode is take you through what we did on our first number night, which was amazing. And I want to thank really everybody who came and shared and um, what what a great conversation and time together. Yeah, it was a good group. It was a really good group. Really good. So the topic of our number night was confirmation bias in your number or self-sabotage? Yeah. Self-sabotage. Yes, sabotage in your number, which mm-hmm. I think is also related to confirmation bias. You yeah. Know? Like I think um, the things we do are what allow us to see what we're, you know, like we do certain things that keep our life going a certain way. So then we believe certain things about what who we are and what our story is. Right. So that's what I mean by confirmation bias as far it which is also which is the whole story of the en- in your number. Enneagram. Which right. what? It's the whole story of the Enneagram. True. Yeah. True. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think. Yeah, no, you're right. So really kind of how we hung our hats on that topic was to talk about how particularly our sin keeps us from hearing our lost childhood message. And so before we get into each of those for the numbers, we thought we would just do a little review about uh, sin. And what First of all, I, did, I looked at what I said. And oh, good. Sin, this definition, I don't know where I got it from, but sin is the way in which you forsake who you are. Right. So every time we talk about a number and we talk about that number sin or passion, just keep that in mind that we're talking about the kind of the maybe the primary way in which you forsake who you are or mm-hmm. the language I'm using or what we're using for this is the engine for your self-sabotage. Right, right. And when we get to those words that define, um, that we use for sin, you'll remember that they're all pretty intense and not generally the definition that you would normally connect to that word. So we can unpack that again a little bit, and yeah. we'll do that in the teaching. And then a reminder about lost and unconscious childhood message. The unconscious childhood message for every um, number is what you're just predisposed to hear. So whether or not it's being said to you, you're just predisposed to hear it. And then the lost childhood message is what you just really can't hear, but you really long to hear. And all of Elizabeth, as we've talked about the Enneagram, kind of all of our habitual ways of being in the world set us up in a way that we can't hear our our lost childhood message. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how our sin is the engine that gets in the way of that. It kind of um, keeps us from hearing that. Another thing we've uh, heard from folks is asking about wings and uh, kind of minutiae about the Enneagram. So when we initially talked about doing this podcast, we thought we would just do a basic introduction. That would be it. We thought we'd just do the nine numbers and then just do nothing but number nights. But People seem to want us to keep going. <laughs> so, um, but the only way we can fund it is if we, is through our number, through, through, number, through number nights, or if people hire us to do workshops, which um, we're excited to do. But in this case, um, so a lot of times people will introduce themselves as 
for instance, I'm a nine with a big fat eight wing, or you'll you'll hear someone if you're in an Enneagram group and they'll I'm a say, self-preserving I'm four a wing three, blah 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 blah, like yeah. 500 modifiers for their number, mm-hmm. and all of that can I think technically be helpful, but what we have found is that when you get so connected to that, um, to every little descriptor and every little thing you can learn about your number, lots of times, not always, but lots of times it might be because you don't want to do what we call the the work, which is your right. own, like looking at yourself and using the Enneagram as a tool to, to live a more um, fully engaged, fully awake from your true self kind of life. So if it's just a descriptor of who you are and you can add a million different descriptors well, to it. I think it can be a distraction. Not, I, think it could be the, distraction. I think what I said to you the other day is I think it's a way in which we can stay engaged with studying the Enneagram without the sticky hard work of of just knowing who we are and being self-aware and being honest with our triggers and our downfalls you know and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it I think you know it's interesting to me that I have a strong three wing it's interesting to me as a four that my three wing helped me as a little girl to feel like I could you know get things done it's interesting to like have you do a a podcast with another nine that's a different subtype from you and to see the difference and how that plays out but all of that i like to call like subtypes jewelry you know like you know let's get dressed first and then you put your earrings on right and that earrings are great but you know you got to get your underpants on first (laughs) (laughs) that's a weird analogy we should title this uh, (laughs) put your underpants on first people put your underpants on um but i mean i i really think and and we will probably do subtypes eventually and we'll do all you know who knows what we'll end up doing because we're not against any of it we just really think the most important thing is to 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 understand your number and to do stance work. Yeah, yeah. I have written here when we were talking about about this podcast, you wrote, um, it keeps you engaged with the Enneagram without confronting yourself. All those little... Yes. And not little, but all of the extra reading, all of the technical, all of the... Mm-hmm. All of that. There's so much you can know. Mm-hmm. And that is lovely. Mm-hmm. But... My drive is still always going to be that I do not want to be affected by life. Right. And my work is always going to be doing and putting myself out there. Mm-hmm. So it's, and I can know the other things and maybe they help me in different p- times of my life. But I have to keep, I keep going back to that, keep going back to that um, just basic, super hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, okay, so should so we dive in? We're going to just keep keep our same pattern of starting with the heart triad mm-hmm. and take it away with okay, type so two. Okay, so we're going to start with two. Um, lost childhood message, you are wanted. And pride is the engine of your sabotage. So one of the main things that happens with twos is they're always going after the, the one, right? So in a room, 
in a situation where there's all kinds of people who are already there for them. Mm-hmm. Twos tend to focus on the one who's not there for them or who's not into them. They they can kind of see the one situation in the room that's not that's kind of a problem or that's not a doesn't feel good or doesn't feel um what do I want to say? Just like, you know, they're not feeling the love. Where they right? don't feel wanted. Where they don't feel, they they can kind of, it's like they have a radar for that. Mm-hmm. And so they over-focus on that. And what happens when they over-focus on that is, A, it makes them, it, you know, it's a negative feeling. But B, they're, they're just not noticing all the other things around that that's good that that all the people who are there for them all the people who do want them all the people who are affirming them and they're just kind of focusing on the story that's 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 negative so that's one one aspect um the other thing is if if you're running around always wanting to be needed and wanting to be helpful and not really being willing to receive help from other people then you're never going to really feel wanted because you're not allowing that the space to feel wanted. You have to stop the helping and the taking care of everyone, right, For so that someone can actually take care of you. Allowing people to take care of you helps you feel wanted. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty basic. but And talk about how pride, unpack pride in that. Um, so... I one of the things I wrote here is that I think that there's a lot of pride in their kind of selflessness and their helpfulness. They think they kind of think we're the rest of us are selfish and not doing what we need to do and they're stepping in and doing all these things that need to be done and they feel prideful about that. Mm-hmm. And so um they're not able to see the ways in which they're I say like aggressively <laughs> helping, you know, or yeah. um So there there's an amount of a way that pride can be seen in them a type two thinking that they know exactly what other people need and just kind of moving towards that. And then there's also the pride of them how they set up their world because they're always busy giving and projecting that they don't have their own needs or that even when we try to move in to meet them that it's we're just kind of naturally deflected yeah from even knowing what they are or meeting them so it's so you're saying they two feel, sides of the same coin I you, think. they feel actual pride in that they don't have needs I think in a different, so in a nuanced way from mm-hmm. how we normally think of pride, because I think lots of times twos have a hard time self-identifying when we focus on pride. So yeah. defining pride about their own needs, like if you really just say the sentence out loud, like I really don't have any needs or I can't mm-hmm. think of any needs that I have. Mm-hmm. Well, that I think is, it's so much more related to shame than right. say like a five not having needs. Mm-hmm. Like that's not at all about pride. Um, two, not having needs is to me comes out of shame and self worth issues. You know, like if you don't, 
it's about not stepping into that space that you get to have, you know, that's yours instead of just giving all of that away to other people. You're just running around helping other people because if you receive that, then you have to receive your own self-worth. You have to be wanted. Yeah. Right? So right. it's that it's that piece, I think. Yeah. Of that definition of pride. That yes. I know what everyone else needs, but there's no way you can know what I need. And in fact, I I don't really need anything. Yeah, that's that's pretty sticky. And um, one of the people at our at our number night said it it was comforting to him to not have them right. And I think I mean you know I think one of the things we said in our two podcasts was that if they feel their needs are met, then it's frightening, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. Um. So two things I was going to talk about. One is I came across this thing in a Christian Wyman book. He held radical light about promiscuous sympathy. And I just love that. that. Term. I love the term. Such a great four term. And I immediately wrote two out in the margin of my book, promiscuous sympathy. And Lee wanted to know what that meant. And he's talking about being a student of Denise Levertov and how she had, um, she was diagnosed with lymphoma, and he says, which I did not realize at the time, and which at any rate would have meant nothing to me aside from the muted and momentary flash of foreboding that you yourself might feel if I told you how that same word, lymphoma, would ravage my own life 15 years later. Mm. This is as it should be. Promiscuous sympathy is pointless and damaging for all concerned That little shiver of pleasure horror that goes through your spine when you read about someone else's suffering. That quick metaphysical incision like a bone marrow biopsy of the soul. It's for yourself. It is yourself soundlessly screaming, I'm going to die. I just love that. I love that passage and I I think it kind of ties up how there's a place for sympathy and a and a space for sympathy and it's not always your job to be the one that provides it right and, and i think twos just need to and that's why when with twos we talk about bringing up productive thinking because the only thing that can teach a two where it's theirs to be to offer that sympathy and give. help and need mm-hmm. to other people is to stop to hesitate and to bring up that th- the thinking of mm-hmm. like, is this mine to do? Do I need to do it? Did they ask for my help? Yeah. And then ask yourself that all over again. <laughs> um, again and again. Yes. Mm. And the other story that I came across recently was this story of this chrysalis. And um, it's, uh, it's a story of a, a, a woman who's watching a butterfly emerge from a chrysalis and the butterfly gets stuck and is struggling and struggling and struggling to get out of the chrysalis and can't do it. And so the woman gets some scissors and slices the chrysalis open and the butterfly comes out, but he has a really fat body and really shriveled wings. And he never develops wings and he never can fly. And the the reality is, is that the way the chrysalis, the way that is set up is that the struggle, the actual struggle and the pumping of blood or whatever in the butterfly, 
that process is what creates the wings expanding and the body getting thinner. And mm-hmm. it's part their struggle to get out of the chrysalis is how the butterfly ends up surviving and Being flying. A butterfly. Yes. So I thought that that while maybe a little intense <laughs> is a is sort of a good metaphor for a two. <laughs> All the twos are going to kill me. <laughs> got promiscuous sympathy <laughs> fat wingless butterflies. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, the thing, I think these stories, while they may sort of be hard, right. um, are also good because sometimes, you know, it. Uh, sometimes we get a little lost in the sweetness and the helpfulness of it too. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think you got to kind of put all these different ways of looking at it around it so they can see. I mean, for me... As in the heart triad, I look at twos and I think they're so great and relational and sweet and, you know, good friends and all yes. of that. So I think it's just in a way for me to, to find the shadow of a two requires a little more digging. Yeah. One of the things when we were initially kind of talking through this topic of how your sin sabotages your lost childhood message, I was saying we really want to love twos. We really mm-hmm. want to, we want to meet the needs of the twos mm-hmm. we know in our lives. Mm-hmm. We want to love them so well, but then the, because of this barrier of them meeting everyone else's needs mm-hmm. or seeming not to have needs, even mm-hmm. though we know that can't mm-hmm. be true, it's just like this weird kind of, Barrier, kind of. Yeah, a, I was calling it soft armor. Soft armor, not yeah. Squishy it's armor. Not, it's like not a, a Michelin man. Yeah. So you know, it's armor for it's sure enough, armor. like a knight. You know, but it's soft and squishy, and I was saying unassailable. And I think there's pride in that too, yes. because um, they're over there being so sweet and helpful and kind. And if we try to call them on how they're not hesitating and or doing what's theirs to do instead of doing what everyone else is Mm -hmm. doing they will push back with all of this pride and validity around their helpfulness and their kindness and their givingness and all that and so it is hard to kind of it's hard to punch a hole in that armor it's it's it really is. is it really is so um and the space where we can get in mm-hmm. is when they stop for just a second, mm-hmm. bring up thinking, and practice even just knowing that we want to to love them or mm-hmm. that they might have a need or mm-hmm. that maybe... That they're facilitating us not loving them. Right. Or that, that maybe someone might not need their not help right. and that doesn't mean that they're not wanted, mm-hmm. right? That that just might be... I mean, the way the, things need to go. The bottom line is what we're talking about today is each number's total responsibility and how they are not being loved properly. Yeah, that's it. Ouchie, ouchie. So true. And it's also our total responsibility to own that and do something about it. Right. All right. So. Okay. So three. Your escape hatch. Wait. Oh, type two. Um, yes. Because. Yeah. Is productive thinking. Yes. Productive thinking, which we'll get into more, I think, in the future. But basically, that's talking about stance work or bringing up your repressed center. So bringing up productive thinking for two is always how you. Be, always going to be your escape mm-hmm. hatch. 
and we'll get into that more later. Yep. Um, so threes, childhood message, your love for who you are, in parentheses, not what you do. Mm. And deceit is the engine of your sabotage. I think deceit's a tough word. I think that one of the things I want to talk about is that living life performatively, um, you start to believe that that performance is you. And the reality is it's just hard to convince the three that it's not, you know. And also, every kind of everyone around a three knows, they see it. Like, mm-hmm. it's very obvious to everyone else that loves a three that they are, that you can watch them perform. You can watch them do it. And if you ever said, I'm, I, I, I see you, and I see that you're, you're, you're performing right now, um, what's going on, they, they, they wouldn't really know what you're talking about, I think. Most of the time, most, pe- most threes would not know what you're talking about. And I do think, you know, obviously all of us are performing some of the time through life. Life requires that from us, right? But I think um, a three's performance is very specific in that they are in the heart trad, they are looking around, feeling everyone's feelings, and then they want they want so badly to be what's required and do it well that it just it, the performative nature gets lost to them because it feels so it feels so helpful. It feels so co- correct. Well, and right? I think it feels true. It feels true, and to that's them. the big deceit mm-hmm. part. That right, they start to believe they are that they mm-hmm. are. The performance, whatever they're performing to be, mm-hmm. that's the tricky part of deceit. Mm-hmm. It feels true. It feels true. Yeah. Um, and some of it might be, you know, mm-hmm. but um, some of it isn't. And I, I think, uh, you know, I think when you go through life and you're like setting those feelings aside, you do it over time and then it's harder to parse out what's really true and what's really not true because you've been setting your feelings aside so consistently. And um, so the productive feeling for them is their escape hatch. And uh, I think it's probably really hard for them to, to know what productive feeling is. Like, how do you, how do you separate out what's really you and what's really all these feelings you've been grabbing to be appropriate, to be successful, to get along well with people, to be dynamic, to be a leader. All those things are great. Where is your real trueness in in those things? Yeah, um, sometimes I think for threes, which can be one of the most difficult things for them, is when they fail. Mm-hmm. And whatever they're trying to perform, whatever they're trying to do, and they're not able to, or I don't know that they would just decide not to, but when they're not able to just turn it in that aggressive way and make it a success Mm -hmm. and allow us in that whatever their sense of failure is Mm -hmm. to come in and love them and be with them Mm -hmm. and somehow take in Mm -hmm. that who they are in that yes, space yes. is it's too I mean, is who they are and it's Alabelle, we want them and we love yeah. them. Alabelle won't mind me talking about her because she's obviously she's been on the podcast, but 
I mean, for her, when she's in the middle of a failure, she will not allow me in. It always has to come later. It always has to come when she's been able to kind of bounce out of it. So she finds a way to bounce out of it which is maybe to kind of like a seven reframing. It's kind of like, it oh, but is. this is what this is what that failure can be for me or mean for me or mm-hmm. not mean for me, right? And they've kind of put a story around whatever just happened that was not awesome, right? And then when they kind of bounced into that, then you can then you can kind of have a some semi-detached conversation about it. The the growing edge for a three is to allow your friend, your mom, your whoever, your spouse mm-hmm. to process that with you when you're in the middle of the junk. And I think that's really really hard. So it um, almost seems like that's the on-ramp to productive feeling maybe in some way like if a three can start to observe when they're doing that Mm -hmm. and just like all of us in our habitual way a three does that all the time Mm -hmm. they're constantly reframing Mm -hmm. for success whatever that looks like yeah and so even if it's if it can be just a small something that the rest of us would never consider a quote-unquote failure Mm -hmm. if they can just observe themselves about to reframe and stop themselves and mm-hmm. feel what they feel mm-hmm. let let us in mm-hmm. to just experience the, it actually the truth yeah. that we love them mm-hmm. just as they are mm-hmm. with that failure right however they've defined it well i mean the, know, the reality really is too is that when they're able to allow us in and admit kind of admit what's sticky about the moment mm-hmm. or what feels bad for them about the moment, then that makes us love them more, you know? I mean, it's like the on-ramp for us to mm-hmm. actually connect really with love them. with them and love them and connect with them. And yeah. um, I think in some weird way, they don't believe that. No, they don't. You no, know? they don't believe it, but it's so true. And the more they have it together, the more they have to bounce before they can talk to you about it, the more... They believe their own story that they've developed for themselves and are not sharing all the sticky parts with us. The more Mm -hmm. we're kind of just over on the sidelines going, watch them go, watch them go. And they don't know we're doing that, but that's what we're doing. And um, that it doesn't have to be that way. No. Yeah. Yeah. I like you saying that. The on-ramp to productive feeling is allowing yeah, it people in when you're so, in, the, in the midst of the gross. Yeah. And I would just like to say that allowing someone in in the midst of the gross actually makes the gross move faster. And therefore, there might be a little incentive there, right? Because yeah. well, it just going to come back and bite you yuckier later. It, you know what I mean? Like well, for you, three, that's the deceit part. Right. Because it might not for them. They believe whatever they've... They keep they keep reframing, reframing the, the bounce until back. they really can't until they can't all sounding reframe. so seventy to me right yeah. now. It's because they're aggressive numbers, right? They're both aggressive, right? It's just about feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also like this sentence you have written here because everything, basically, you do everything you possibly can to avoid intimacy because you feel that it is hard to be successful at it. And then you don't feel loved for who you are. I think right. that's a good way to talk about deceit, too. I just think that. Yes. 
encapsulates it, ties it right up. Oh, good. Um, I like, I don't know if it was you or Suzanne or somebody just saying, when you're not in the feeling triad, or they are in the feeling triad, but they're feeling repressed, Mm -hmm. feelings in general are just something that you just feel you can't do well, right? So a three just feels they can't, they can't manage that well. They can manage your feelings probably pretty well, but not, not their own. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so fours, um, childhood message, you are seen for who you are. Was the original one, or is it also you are special? That you're seen for who you are. Is That's always the childhood message the lost of fours. childhood fours. message. It's never, there's never any other language around that? I don't think so. Okay. What is the unconscious? It's not okay to be too functional or too okay, happy. Okay, so no. I really think. You don't think so? You, you, you are special. You want to be seen for who you are. And you have. You don't think she used to say you're special. You are working really hard Mm -hmm. to convince us and to Uh convince yourself that you're special, quote unquote, and whatever that looks like for you. (laughs) But damn it, we're having a therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) Who you are? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You don't have to be okay special. You are special. Okay, right? I like, do think they're wrapped up together. They are very wrapped up, okay. and they're super wrapped up for you. Okay, which is just very okay. similar to trying to explain deceit to a three. Special trying okay, to explain you, special you just to jump you in there then is trying to explain deceit okay. to a three. Okay, jump in there then. Okay. Call I just me did. A, I know, but I think I th- he'll he'll get uh, it. He'll get okay. it. <laughs> Get that little therapy session going. Okay. All right. So childhood message of four, you're seen for who you are and envy is the engine of your sabotage. Mm-hmm. For me as a four, being seen who for who I am, I think I get easily caught up in running after things and people and experiences that provide texture and meaning and beauty and I can lose sight of who I am in the midst of all of that. Talk to us about how that is envy. Um, for me, uh, an easy way to talk about it is like if I'm on Instagram and I'm looking at other artists on Instagram and what they're doing, I can get too involved in what they're up to, um, even their like their styles and how they paint. Um, and I have to put it down because I get lost in that like I could actually paint differently that day because I looked at something and that's a really concrete way in which I'm giving myself away to all these things I'm grabbing all the time to feel special and to feel seen also I think I tend to I think fours look outside of themselves first the kind of psychic ease and comfort we have a weird push-pull relationship with comfort we want to be have psychic comfort in the world. We think everyone else has it and we want it. That's part of the MV2. So we're always looking for it, but we tend to forget our own quiet hearts in all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think finding that is, you know, kind of like you were saying, it's like finding the, the three, finding their, their productive feeling. I think, uh, I mean, the reality is I want to be seen for who I am, but I don't always know who she is, you know? And I think I'm so invested in that, right? Because I'm spending so much time kind of being invested in who I am, right? That it seems absurd in a way that I don't know. But I don't know because I'm always always so open to all the ways in which 
that that can be, like right. what that can be and what it can look like. Well, it's almost and the like envy if, trips me up because yeah. if I if I don't have the envy, if I put the envy down, then I just can settle into whatever it is that is me, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a real, I can find peace in that. Yeah, we were just talking about this, so I naturally was like, the chat lost childhood message <laughs> is you are seen for who you are, and you're like, but isn't it that you're special? <laughs> Isn't it that you're special? Right. Right? right. So just like right away, it Um, can't just be the ordinary, right? It couldn't. No, but actually, though, the reason I said that, I want to say the reason I said that is because um, I don't know if you remember me talking about this the other day, is that I'm probably totally incorrect here, but I feel like I made Suzanne get into your scene for who you are as opposed to your special because when she used to say you're special, I didn't like it. It was a trigger word for me. Special was a trigger word for me like perfection is for Penny as a one. I thought it was really so icky to go around and be like, I'm special. (laughs) I'm special. That's so, it seems childish to me. Right. And so I was saying to you that like doing, like being, you know, I'm a 12 stepper and I, the first, when I first started doing my work, I really needed to cling to the fact that it was, um, a genetic thing and that I had a genetic disease. And then after doing lots and lots and lots of work, I was like, it's a spiritual disease. And I couldn't, I wasn't comfortable with that until I got comfortable with that. Right. And to me, the, the, the special thing feels the same way. I didn't want to deal with the fact that I'm walking around all the time thinking I want to be special. And now that I've done a little mm-hmm. more work, I see all the shenanigans I'm doing all the time to feel special. Right. And it's so embarrassing. Yeah. But, um, and I, so for me, what I read in the lost childhood message for you is, even if you took off all of those adornments, all the ways you you are trying, mm-hmm. right? Just like a three is performing, mm-hmm. all the ways that you are looking for special, that when you're doing just the ordinary, mm-hmm. that's where we connect with you. That's where we get to see you for who you are. And of course, a lot of who you are is going to be the beauty for you, it's going to be the art and the the way your your world looks, but it's also just the everyday slogging it out kind of mm-hmm. place where we get to meet and I get to see who you are and yeah. meet you. And see, it's just like I, I hear you say that. I'm like, mm-hmm. but not really. <laughs> it's not really true. <laughs> but I think, I mean, like I wrote this... Um, sentence down everyone wants to be found like every number yeah everybody wants to be found and that probably means something a little different to everybody but uh, I think a good question to ask yourself is when when did you feel very found you know and when has it been easy for people to find you and when has it been easy for you to find yourself yeah and to let yourself be found yeah that's a big thing mm-hmm and so I think that's mm. like, you know, I think that's just something you have to sit with and ask and, and notice in your life, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Five. Um, the childhood message of a five is you have needs and they matter. Avarice or greed is the engine of a five sabotage. Fives are so busy being self-reliant 
and independent that they don't really give us a chance to meet their needs. Um, And I think they are pretty comfortable with the fact that they don't have needs. That feels very um, safe. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of their definition of avarice. And greed is to collect and gather whatever they need to dedicate themselves to it in a way that they don't have to rely on us mm-hmm. to give them the information, to mm-hmm. meet their need, whatever they need, mm-hmm. might need, they're going to get it for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the, the um, greedy part. Right. I mean, honestly, I have, I, for me, like talking about this, it's hard for me to believe that if I've actually, that that's their message, they actually want to believe that, that they're longing to hear that. You know, mm-hmm. because like living with a five, if that is really what he is longing to hear, it, it, feel, it feels very buried in there. And because he's in the head triad, it feels super buried in there. Yeah. And if I tease him about it or we talk about it, it's not, it doesn't. I mean, I would really like to see like a five have some emotion around. <laughs> yes. I mean, I guess it's not going to happen. But I mean, Such what is that? Wave. I mean, like, well, okay. Could they unpack it. it? Could they analyze it? Let's have them just analyze it. Then can that can that to work? Analyze that part. I mean, I. About. It's you know, it's hard for me to believe that that that's their longing. That that's what they really want to hear. That they have needs and they matter. Well, I think to me, like when I read that and when I think about the way fives and Mm -hmm. fives that I know set up their world, in a lot of ways it keeps them from being seen, Mm -hmm. which we just talked about. When have you been found? We can't Mm -hmm. really find find them them because they're their castle or their kind of, um, what did you call for the two... And the kind of Michelin man their kind um, of armor, their armor. unassailable armor. Yeah, is everybody's looks a little different. Pretty intense, mm-hmm. I think, for five. It's super noticeable, right? Super noticeable. And so, I, I think just being human, we want to be connected, and we want to be known, right? And I, so, I just think fives. You know, like I know it's not about deceit. But I think fives have kind of convinced themselves that they don't want it. Sure. And I mean, I have heard Nathaniel say that when I am able to kind of imagine what his needs might be, and I just go ahead and kind of provide that, it always feels so surprising to him and good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I I don't, but I don't think he sits with that for very long to think about how good that feels right. you know what we were talking about at number night we didn't get into it deeply but how s- several of us kind of enjoy our sabotage right, right? yes the, even if it's not technically getting us what we are longing for it feels familiar mm-hmm. it feels safe it's it's the devil we know kind right, of thing it's the devil we know. and Sometimes I just would rather be asleep and mm-hmm. being asleep and feels good. Mm-hmm. And all of us are asleep in different ways. And I think a five can convince themselves that their needs are being met through their head, through knowledge, through what what have you, however mm-hmm. they're ga- gathering. Um, and I think, like, I guess they're keeping their needs minimal and small because if they believe they had big needs 
then that would require so much of them, right? It would require more from them to say, this is what I want. And this was what my life could look like. This is how expansive my life could be. This is the, the, here are the goals and the places I could go with all the things I desire. I mean, the bottom line is I think fives have kind of shut down a lot of their desires. Mm -hmm. Because if they stepped into it and said, I desire all of these things, that's too vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It would take too much energy. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And so their escape hatch is productive doing. I do think feeling, though, is a big part of that. I think, like, mm-hmm. um, feeling has to come along for the ride to discern what is what is productive doing for a five. Mm-hmm. And I think the productive doing is also um, what's required for them to, to go after those desires, to, like, actually implement those desires, to expand that life. I was just thinking about how Nathaniel, when we did our five episode, how he talked about feeling he was talking about when he just kind of goes with his gut and does something before gathering all the information Mm -hmm. and I feel like when fives do that when they connect with us when they just kind of put themselves out there Mm -hmm. that's when we can connect with them Mm -hmm. right when they're Mm -hmm. not so in their head when they're not busy meeting all of their own needs because it's it's hard to like you just Mm -hmm. even said after so many years of marriage, you're mm-hmm. like packaging up and wondering and <laughs> yeah, giving I had him a what you dream. imagine he would need. I had right? a recurring dream for many, many years where like my eternity, my heaven was all of the things he needed being splayed out before me and I could see them and meet them. <laughs> anyway. I love that. So productive doing fives mm-hmm. is your escape hatch because it's a, it makes you vulnerable because you are going to go with your gut and put yourselves out there in ways um, that connect you. That may feel awkward. And it's when you connect are connected you. to mm-hmm. us that we can meet your needs. Mm-hmm. And just like every other type, we all have fives that we love and we want we want to love you well. We want to meet your needs and know what you want and know. Um, I mean, all of this too give to you is connected to Brene Brown's vulnerability mm-hmm. work. Don't you think? Cause oh, yeah. all of these ways in which we're sabotaging ourselves are ways in which we're avoiding intimacy and vulnerability and pain and pain. Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. Type six. Your uh, lost childhood message, which is the message you really want to hear, but you're wired not to hear it, is you are safe, and fear is the engine of your sabotage. So fear keeps you from hearing that you are safe. And basically, sixes have set up their world in a way to ensure that they get to hang on to fear instead of being open to the reality of their own experience, which oftentimes will confirm their safety if they can think about it. But they're so connected to wanting to worry. And we heard from Scott and we've heard from other sixes that worry feels really good to them Mm -hmm. and feels like thinking and it feels familiar. Mm -hmm. And all of us have that kind of gross 
like, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but I kind of like to worry or I, I like to um, be unaffected by life. We all, we all have that. So oddly, fear feels safe to a six. Fear feels safe to a six. Despite the fact that it wears them out and confines their horizons because they're attached to it. It's mm-hmm. what's familiar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes sixes are not sure who they are without worry, without mm. being fearful. Mm. So because they're so attached to, to their worry, to even stop and think, am I safe, feels uh, risky because they'd rather f- have kind of the solace of being being afraid it's it's like a strange just keeps their mind engaged Mm -hmm. with that Mm -hmm. and so if their mind is not engaged with safety right then what would their mind be engaged with and it's again that's just another way of expansion yeah it's another way of having desires for your life that are bigger you know right um a lot of six sixes are known as the devil's advocate or the questioner because they ask a lot of questions in this cycle of worrying and wanting to know that they're safe. But the kind of trap of that is that we will never really be able to quell the fear. So whatever I tell you, whatever you tell me, you were never going to give you the correct information that's going to going to help you. Um, feel safe because ultimately you have to trust your own experience and that is bringing up productive thinking and we had just the most beautiful six at our number night and um, she talked about which I love this so we always talk about how sixes are courageous Mm -hmm. and she talked about going on this months-long road trip on her own and she kind of converted her car into a car camper so she would pull over in these amazing parks and every single night you can imagine what a six would think as a a young woman sleeping in their car in a park right by themselves and so she just was kind of driving herself crazy that she wasn't going to be able to enjoy her trip she wasn't sleeping because every night every sound every everything just was completely intruding on this amazing, courageous road trip. And so finally, she realized how I would describe it is she started talking to her fear. Mm-hmm. So as as her fears would pop up, she would bring up productive thinking and say, well, has that happened? And what have you done? If that does happen, well, you've locked the door, you've got your bear spray, you, checklist, yeah. you know, just go through her checklist to say you've, you've done everything that you can do to be safe, which, again, productive thinking, trusting her own experience of all the nights she slept safely when she finally got to sleep <laughs> in her car. For a minute. Um, and I just that is such a amazing story mm-hmm. of. And she kind of had to keep doing that. And every, every night yeah. it never stopped. Yeah, it never right? stopped. But and, she at least could talk back to it. And that's a great example of that is the six's habitual way of being in the world. So we talked about how Suzanne Stabile says you're never going to stop seeing the world the way you see it, mm-hmm. but you can do something different with what you see. So sixes are always going to see and kind of take see in the danger, the danger whatever that danger. is, and bringing up 
productive thinking is ultimately, we can tell you all day long that you're safe. We want to, and sometimes we get exasperated, you know, we get uh, tired of the questions or we've, we've gone over this, you know, it's ultimately that story, I think just beautifully illustrates bringing up productive thinking and trusting your own experience, even if it's for two seconds, even if it's just long enough Mm -hmm. to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so thank you, our sweet six who was here on number night. <laughs> Come back. We need more sixes <laughs> yes, at our, in our Enneagram work. Mm. So, and we're in the head triad. So moving on. To seven. Type okay. seven. Okay, sevens. Um, childhood messages you will be taken care of. And gluttony is the engine of your sabotage. So I think... Uh, I feel like they all are sort of connected because it's just all of them are kind of ways in which we outrun this message, right? Yes. So sevens is pretty, to me, a little more clear that they're trying to outrun this message. First of all, they kind of... Not always clear to sevens. Right. Uh, Right. Right. Um I mean, first of all, they're just outrunning the message just outright. Like, they are, they are making sure they're taken care of. Back to Jessica with lobster in the bathtub. Right. Very early age, she had her mom feeding her lobster in the bathtub. She made sure she was taken care of. And as she said, she and at the happen. same, she made it happen. And at the same time, she looked at her mom's like, she, she doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> so, um, I think that's such a good illustration. But, um, so I think a lot of times it's hard to maybe get a seven to stop and really be aware that that, that that's what they want. Just like like fives, like do you really you want your needs met? Sevens, you really want to be taken care of. I think it's hard for them to tap into that because they're an aggressive number because they're future oriented. They're because they're trying to outrun pain, right, and not deal with pain. Uh, they are, they're just kind of going, 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 having lots of experiences and thinking that having lots of experiences will kind of safeguard them from any kind of pain or anything they don't want to deal with. Right. So my guess might be that a seven might hear you will be taken care of and wrapped up in that message, even though it's what they're longing for is a certain vulnerability like the mm-hmm. rest of these right. in that something is lacking, mm-hmm. that there might be pain or need there mm-hmm. that feels super uncomfortable, really frightening. that really. feels really frightening to a, a mm-hmm. seven. And I think, you know, I mean, the irony with sevens is, is that they end up kind of a lot of times feeling lonely. They may not even be able to admit that to themselves because they kind of pop up they kind of experience that brief feeling of loneliness and it's so scary that then that's when you really see them having the experiences and doing this and being busy and and frenetic and I think I said in the workshop the other day like you can almost measure a seven's health by how frenetic they are if they're very frenetic you know they're really trying to outrun themselves and if they seem a little more grounded and present to you, then you know that they're kind of dealing with uh, their stuff. I mean, I think uh, I think it's hard to convince them of this. I think they're so good at reframing mm-hmm. kind of every experience that they're having that to get through to them that that it's 
not what they're saying it is. It's just really, it's difficult to to get them to believe that. It seems to me that there is just, and I think it's difficult for every number. We all have our stubborn kind of addictive (laughs) kind of habitual ways. But it seems like for aggressive, the aggressive stance, because they're so good at reshaping reality, it's particularly challenging mm-hmm. or challenging in a different way. I think it's harder for them to take respo- personal responsibility with how they are self-sabotaging. Yeah. Like, I think you could... Because it seems could, to be working super well. It, right. It, it, it seems to be working mm-hmm. and then they have that momentary feeling of loneliness or whatever, mm-hmm. sadness, whatever, anything that's not positive, right? And they bounce out of it really yeah. fast. And so... I guess the irony is if they could sit with that for a minute and feel it, then they would be able to see how they're responsible for kind of this not feeling, you know, taken care of. Right. Not feeling, because they have to allow us to take care of them. I think they can think they're allowing it, but they're they're not really. They're always, you know, they're kind of, uh, because of that aggressive piece, they're, they're meeting, you know, they're taking care of everything, and they've got it, you know, all going on. And and they allow us to come along for the, all the all good. That, all that good, fun stuff. Fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they get frustrated when it's not. And it's hard for us to, to get in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most people are kind of afraid to be really honest to sevens about mm-hmm. it. I was talking to my mom on the phone about how sevens are so argumentative, you know, like you can talk to a seven about who they they are and what they are, and they they love to argue with you. And my mom on the phone was like, well, I just, I didn't know sevens argued. (laughs) And I just thought that was the funniest thing. And I said, well, mom, it's, it's, um, it's not like, you know, argue, argue, like, I disagree with you. I don't like that politician. It's not that kind of arguing. It's more like, I'm going to come at you and come at you and come at you until I get my way. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to make whatever's going on now, I'm going to make it how I want it. And that feels I mean, I call that arguing. I'm yeah. sure there, there's we could call it other things. Also reshaping reality. Reshaping reality, <laughs> yeah. Mhm. And so, I mean, I guess the magic for a seven is when they can say, "Oh, here I am reshaping reality. Let me just see if I can feel what I feel." try to not reshape it. And I think, like, what is that even, how do you know that you're doing it? How do you know what reality is even it? I mean, I think they're so practiced at reshaping reality mm-hmm. that what, I mean, obviously reality is subjective to all, for all of us. Reality is subjective. But sevens are generally further away from what we would all say, like, if we all got together and collaborated on what reality is. I think sevens are pretty out of touch, usually. Yeah. Especially when it comes to themselves. And the things that are not, that can be feel difficult or painful mm-hmm. or lonely or insert your word there. Yeah. Fearful. Fearful. Where they, where they can't take mm-hmm. care of it. Right. And, you know, a, a tender seven is a seven you want to start being honest with. Mm-hmm. And that you want to invest in relationship with, and that you want to seek out advice from, yeah. and that's what they want from us. Yeah. So they just have to believe that we will take care of their tenderness. Yeah. 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 
And we also, it's on us, we, we talk about when a seven starts doing their work, mm-hmm. they are not up all the time. So we rely mm-hmm. on them so much for the energy. And so when they are in those tender spaces, when they're vulnerable, that we get to, we allow them to not be the life of the party or to bring all the energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, I, I do want to say that, um, and I think that's true, mm-hmm. absolutely. But I also think it's kind of a way of warding off stuff for them. Like that can be ammunition for a seven. Like they can preemptively strike by saying, well, I have to be the. the yeah. Person. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to work on myself because y'all need me. Y'all all. You all have put me in this position. You all have required all this of me. And I, that dadgummit, that's what I've got to be, you know. You don't allow me to be this tender self. And the bottom line is, I mean, come on. Anybody who's worth their salt in your life knows you you and is going to let you. I mean, if someone doesn't let you grow as a seven, hello, they're not. They're not your. They're, they're not your people. They're not your people. Yeah. So anybody around you who's your people, and you have a tender moment, an icky moment, a quiet moment, scared moment, your true friends are gonna have a little dance party inside themselves. Especially if they're a four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> All right. Um, moving into the gut. So type eight, your lost childhood message is you will not be betrayed. And lust is your engine for sabotage, for not being able to hear that. And this, again, I think like the other aggressive numbers is a little tricky. And I have just circled, starred, all the things on my paper here. Avoiding vulnerability leaves you vulnerable. And that's a Beatrice Mm. Chestnut quote so good and I'm going to say it again avoiding vulnerability leaves you vulnerable so by take not taking time to consider how you and others feel about what you're doing or might be doing kind of sets you up in this circle of feeling betrayed because you're misread and again lust here for an eight is just this zest for life and just not thinking about it, filling all the spaces, franchising, moving ahead, um, doing what needs to be done. I, I think you, in some ways you could use the same, the chrysalis story mm-hmm. for eight sometimes, like they just plow ahead and fill the vacuum or fill the gap, fill the leadership vacuum or do what needs to be done before anyone else can even see that it needs to be done or struggle a little Mm -hmm. bit to to do it. And in their quest to avoid feelings at all costs, this is another um, Beatrice Chestnut quote, uh, eights go overboard and the rest of us sometimes feel hostile and their power and the way they move into spaces just naturally creates misunderstanding. And in that misunderstanding is where they can sometimes feel betrayed, you know, because we don't have time to even think about it. And it they can hurt people in their move forward. So, well, I just I just think they're they're they see what needs to be done. They're fast at they're doing so it. Fast. They're not muddled, muddled down by their feelings and all that. Mm-hmm. So they're going going to do the thing. And uh, w- the rest of us just aren't there yet. 
Yeah. It requires feelings and slowing down for them to bring us along. And eight just doesn't want to do that. Right. And so when when you as an eight, when you your inability to use feeling makes you unaware that you're even ostracizing the folks around you, which ultimately pushes people away and helps helps you avoid intimacy mm-hmm. even more. So so you're you don't want to be betrayed. This is a really tricky circle. So you're not wanting to be betrayed. That's what's driving you. You're not wanting to feel your feelings, not necessarily feeling anyone else's feelings moving forward. And ultimately, you're not really connecting to anyone um, in that way. Mm -hmm. And so that just sets up a not real time relationship. What people are betraying is not even really you. It's not even you. Right. Right. Because there's not been any time. Right. For that. Right. And, you know, obviously there are situations where they're in relationship with someone sure. and they get, you know, uh, they get betrayed. They get literally betrayed. betrayed. But it usually, mm, even that, I would say most of the time it's not about them. It's about the other person not feeling comfortable with their inability to keep up. Yeah. Or to, to right, right. say what they want in real time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, eights work what they think by just moving ahead, not considering feelings, not considering their own feelings, they're avoiding avoiding kind of being betrayed, period, right? Because they're doing it all. Mm-hmm. They don't have to rely on you to do mm-hmm. any of it. They don't have to rely on any of us. And so if an eight can slow down, feel their feelings, um, kind of like a two asking is it mine to do or is, mm-hmm. you know, is this mine to do or what do I, what do I need to do in this space? Mm-hmm. And eight needs to kind of do the same thing. Stop for mm-hmm. a second. Consider, is there someone else who could do this? What, what, does the, what do the people around me feel about this, even if it feels inconvenient, inconvenient and a little goopy to get into it and we had eights at our table saying it's so inconvenient that is so difficult and one eight even it was so inconvenient she had to start her own business (laughs) right her own thing right right? which i thought was great great she said she learned very early on that she needed to work for herself not have a boss yeah right so but the fullness of being seen and being known eights comes in connecting to others and making yourself vulnerable and you you learn in slowing down how to be in relationship and that we love you again Mm -hmm. and that we are going to be there for you and we're going to try to keep up and in that you will not be betrayed right 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 and you know i think we said this in our in our eight podcast but just by using feelings as a way to appropriately expand mm-hmm. then you expand in a in a way that is more it actually gets what needs to get done yeah. maybe better and if you to, use feelings to communicate your agenda right basically. and so a everyone kind of hears you and is on the page with you and b what you're actually doing might be more it has feelings to help it be like 
the mm-hmm. thing that is meeting other people's needs, like right. in a way, like it's the thing that you wanted to do, but it's been communicated in a different way and maybe applied in a different way because you brought up your feelings. It has and more depth and yes, breath. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, what could be more motiv- motivating than that? But again, it's just a way of expanding further into your life. Right. Um, in a way that takes a lot of bravery. And it, it means you have to slow down. Yeah. And you so that's ha- hard. Observe yourself filling all the spaces, slow down and, and feel and mm-hmm. feel other people, you know, see how other people are feeling and connect to your heart in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though it feels vulnerable and like that would ultimately lead to a big betrayal. It, that's it's usually it's really where the connection is good good yeah. stuff yeah yeah all right moving on to my number type nine our <clears throat> lost childhood pre- message is your presence matters and sloth is the engine of our sabotage so um that means i am wanting to be unaffected by life that's the definition of sloth here and um, I think this is kind of an easy peasy one, basically. <laughs> of course you we, do. We, uh, we don't want to be affected by life, so we don't put ourselves in spaces where we can matter or hear that we matter. We uh, literally or not literally, we just avoid, right? And so by avoiding, we can't ever hear that our presence matters. So right. we don't do the thing. We don't put ourselves in the place to hear the thing. So it's, um, which feels just fine to us most of the time. Right. Again, just like every other number, uh, I can talk myself into feeling good, just fine with that. Yeah. You know, that feels, uh, I'm not missing out on anything Mm -hmm. by not putting myself in those places. I can be completely content, except knowing that I'm asleep. Right, that I'm asleep. And so when too. does it? When does it not feel like? When do you catch yourself saying this is, this hmm. is not, you know, me being in my pajamas, quilting today is not. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with right, that. Quilting. But like, when yeah. is? When do you say this is not? I for me, when I hear here in myself when i observe myself doing a lot of self-talk around boundaries mm-hmm. and limiting myself and what um energy i have mm-hmm. and what people are going to ask of me mm-hmm. and kind of writing my story ahead of time um you'll see, oh i like that you know i see a I lot like of that. memes about introverts you uh-huh. know um getting out of parties or um i'm busy tonight and there's a you know, a cartoon of someone in their pajamas with mm-hmm. their headphones in, mm-hmm. listening to a book on tape. And I, I can think that is real. Like, that's yeah. exactly what I need to be doing. And I get real anxious around mm-hmm. protecting um, that. And if I can catch myself, you know, gosh, that does nothing for me, mm-hmm. ultimately. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm an introvert and I need downtime. Right. But when I'm so invested in it, like hardcore invested in that, then I know I've really hit that. I I want to be unaffected by life, mm-hmm. right? So Ugh. I'm just wondering, like a, an extroverted nine, yeah, 
who has convinced themselves that they're... So I think there could be others. We've talked about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, nines merge Mm -hmm. as a way to be unaffected by life sometimes and as a way to avoid conflict. I merge with my own comfort in a way Mm -hmm. versus the, um, or my idea of what comfort might be Mm -hmm. versus what you want, right? Or what my partner wants or what... Mm-hmm. Um, my friend wants, or the group wants, mm-hmm. more so that I'm more, I'm more interested in, in me, uh-huh. and so I think other nines who are more relational uh-huh. than I am, part of the way they would do that is that they would just be merging with everyone around them, and so I think all of our work is to pay attention to when we are not listening to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is we're merging with, what, however we're wanting to be unaffected. Mm-hmm. And for nines, the escape hatch is productive doing. Right. And that means doing this podcast for me. That right. means sometimes it might mean getting on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, you know, teaching a yoga class and feeling mm-hmm. like a goober, not knowing my right from left. So putting myself in places where I feel that kind of uh, conflictual space Mm -hmm. where I can get feedback, where I can be connected and start to find the places where I make a difference, Mm -hmm. where I where I can impact. And for me, that's where my presence matters. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily need people to hold me by the shoulders and say, your presence matters. Right. Like I need to read that from the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like other people who might not go mm-hmm. teach the yoga class. Like mm-hmm. a five wouldn't teach it because, you know, they don't want to be around all those people maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, or they might feel incompetent teaching oh, it. Yeah. A six might not teach it because it would feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you don't want to teach it because, I mean, can you give me better language for... So I... I didn't think I was going to talk about this. So when I took yoga teacher training, this is mm-hmm. a great example, I did it for myself because I know it, it kind of scared me and I'm not a super great practitioner, mm-hmm. but being connected to my body as a number in the gut triad is really important to me and doing things. I know that kind of doing things that scare me that I just kind of in my gut know that I want to do, mm-hmm. even if I don't. I can't tell you why. Mm -hmm. So when I did teacher training, I drilled in really hard that it was just for me and that I wasn't going to teach, even though it's called teacher training. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right. So I think there's a few things there that being a 40 something year old woman who is in her profession and knows what she's doing most of of the time. And I feel like a competent professional Mm -hmm. to, to be a beginner in a space. Mm hmm is really exhilarating and scary at the same time. Yeah. And so, but it also helps me feel awake Mm -hmm. because I can, in my nine self, in Mm -hmm. myself, I think I don't have the energy. I don't have the voice. I'm not good enough to do it. And there's Mm -hmm. levels of self-talk there Mm -hmm. that are just, Mm -hmm. you know, probably that anyone could have. But I don't know if that's, I don't know if this is connecting well. Well, no, it's helpful to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's helpful to anyone else. (laughs) Well, see, there you go. That is my my yoga journey. 
Yeah. How about that? Yeah. yeah. You don't think it's helpful to anyone else. Yeah. Classic. Classic. Okay. But I think, so for nines, I think the productive doing, whatever that looks like, just like for you, you know, kind of doing the everyday thing is going to look different for you from another four, Mm -hmm. that we all have our context and kind of nuance about that. And so whatever that is for a nine, it's going to be putting themselves in the places that feel quote unquote conflictual. Yeah. Right. And uh, I have here. Putting yourself in a coma seems like a good way to avoid conflict. That's another Beatrice Chestnut quote. And then I just have good grief, you know, yeah, like, yeah. ah, and, and at the same time, I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. But can, can, do <laughs> going think, to sleep do, is a good way to avoid you, conflict. Do you think a non can convince themselves that they're not in a coma? Oh, yeah. 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 I think just like everyone else can mm-hmm. convince, convince themselves that the habitual way that you're in the world is a good idea. Right. It's a good way to be. the water you swim in. So you Mm -hmm. you say to a nun, you're asleep. Mm -hmm. You're asleep to so so much of your life. Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, what are you talking about? So tied to the idea of peace and being unaffected by life that however we set our world up to be that way, we can be tricked into thinking that is the good life Mm -hmm. when it's not at all. Okay. So do, do nines, go do your thing. <laughs> go be awkward in the yoga classroom. <laughs> All right, so final number of the night is um, self-sabotage of the type one. And your childhood message is you are good. That's a lost childhood message. So what you're longing to hear is you are good. And anger is the engine of your sabotage. So, first, I want to start by reminding everyone that type 1s walk around with um, a critical eye and a skewed vision of reality in a way. Because Mm -hmm. they are basically saying reality is wrong and they can make it right. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, they're trying to make it right. They want you to try to make it right. <laughs> and um, they have these high standards and this critical nature, which feeds their anger, feeds their anger at themselves because they can't meet their own standards of right or mm-hmm. perfection. I'm going to be, we've got the, I think that's good feedback in our one the other night also said that, she, um, at number nine, that she doesn't like the word perfection either. And that right feels right. To right them. feels right. Right and I think feels that, right to one. I think that's, you just, you know, you can't make that up. Like nope. that's just, nope. right. right feels right. You want to be right. Mm-hmm. And that feels better to you than what yeah. would be perfect. Okay. And so basically ones have this eye that's naturally drawn to what's wrong and this high standard, this critical nature in themselves, so they have mm-hmm. the critical voice, they have the critical eye, and their anger is just right under right under the surface, and that's kind of their armor that ends up keeping them from intimacy or union with others, mm-hmm. right? 
So they're consumed by their high standards, anger at themselves for not meeting it, anger about people not meeting those standards either. And um, in all of that, it's hard for them to hear they're good. And I think part of that is because anger is one of the things that they've put in the column that's not right, right? So even though anger is a very natural part of the world and reality, Mm -hmm. for most ones, anger is not okay. And so if anger is what's driving you, mm -hmm. if anger is kind of... You know, Penny on our our first on our Type One podcast said she didn't know she was angry for so long, Mm -hmm. and so if that if that's what's driving you, if that's it, and you're wanting to hear you're good, and anger is in the category of not good, you're just set up. You're just kind of left there with your exacting standards. Oh, yeah, and I think. The exacting standards feel super safe. You know, it's like you're saying sixes like worrying mm-hmm. and all that. Like, I think, I mean, if a one is caught up with all the things that, that they are consumed with not being correct, then they don't have to be consumed with that the, the they are not correct. Right. Um, and it's that's too painful to just sit with I'm not good. So they're just like, let me, let me just fix all this stuff and see all these things that are wrong. Right. Because if I'm busy doing that, maybe I won't feel so wrong. Yeah. Just similar to a six, we were talking about this, you know, worry feels like thinking Mm -hmm. to a six. Mm -hmm. Criticizing or the inner critic feels like thinking to a one. And so productive thinking is the way that they get out of this. Mm -hmm. It's their escape hatch to remind them or to give us the space to remind them that they are good. Mm -hmm. And anger sabotages that because it's hard. It's, It's their... It's their um, wall. It's the wall they put up that makes them prickly or hard to get at, or um, we can't tell them it's good enough, mm-hmm. or we sometimes or we ran away because we feel judged. Judged, right? Yeah. Because of their 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 talk style might feel um, preachy or critical. And then they have the critic inside themselves. Mm-hmm. And then all of that. Is wrong because mm-hmm. it's anger, mm-hmm. and it just kind of t- keeps them kind of moving, kind of lower and lower, um, uh, and further away from where they can hear that they're good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why a one has to be able to s- to say there might be pieces of goodness even when these things are not all exactly right. In right. fact, there might be some really magical pieces of goodness in right. all of those things that are not right. And if there could be some really magical goodness in this part of reality, I'm part of reality too. Mm. There's magical goodness in me, right? That I'm not, I'm not just missing the mark all the time. 
Right. Right. That they can start to offer grace to the spaces that Mm -hmm. are not quite right around them and in themselves, Mm -hmm. I think. And maybe like to start to not even see it as missing a mark. Yeah. That it's just part of the whole process of them moving through life and learning things and allowing things to happen and Mm -hmm. allowing the job to get finished in a certain way or whatever, you right. know? In Father Richard Rohr's book, who he's a one, his book title, Everything Belongs, mm-hmm. that the the not right things belong, belong too. That yeah. somehow, and that's hard for all of us to hold. It's hard hmm. for me as a one to, or as a nine to hold that. Super hard for a one, but man, when a one can hold it, yeah. they can really teach us about it. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. And I was, you know, my immediately when you said that's hard for me to hold, I'm like over here going, it's not hard for me to hold that. <laughs> but then immediately right after that thought, I was like, oh, there like, I go again. I'm like, well, no, I was like average, mm-hmm. basic, all those things. It's hard for me to see that as part of the magic, too. Right. So, you know, so then I, I self-corrected. Self-corrected right there. That's observing yourself in real time. Way to go. Um, so, and then I, I also think part of productive thinking, and Penny described this beautifully, um, is when a one can start to think there might be another way to do it correctly, mm-hmm. that her way of doing it might not be the only correct way. And I think that's part of bringing up productive thinking. And I I think this is part of the gift of a one having to process out loud most of the time, to say those things out loud. That can be our in to just just bombard them with ways that they are good. Mm -hmm. Like when a one lets me in, when they start processing out loud, if I can just find any hole in their armor to remind them of their goodness. That's where we get into. So mm-hmm. it's where they remember that there might be some other other ways of doing things and, and that there is room for for uh, for things not to be right in the way they imagine they would be right. Mm-hmm. And there is way a way for us to love them mm-hmm. uh, when they start bringing up productive thinking. Because normally, for a one, they're going to have to do that in relationship. So I think that's kind of a gift for us and for them because mm-hmm. it allows us it allows us a a way in, mm-hmm. a way to connect with them. Mm-hmm. So okay, all right. Do we do it? Yeah, I think so. Nine different ways we we self sabotage, trick ourselves into. Not being vulnerable, too, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... To ourselves and, and then ultimately to everyone else. To everybody else. Right. And we, we, I think part of what we do is how we've set up our, our personality helps us set up our world in a way. Yeah. So that we don't have to feel vulnerable. That we don't have to feel vulnerable. And that's even though we are longing, longing, longing for that lost childhood message... We have numbed ourselves out Mm -hmm. to that and Mm -hmm. have convinced ourselves that the way we are, we're being, the way we're habitually making our way through the world is good enough. 
mm-hmm. right? Until mm-hmm. we're until it's not. Until it's not. And that's where the Enneagram more than anything is so helpful. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just shows you where that spot is. Yeah. If yeah. you don't if you don't want to be asleep, if you don't think um being in a coma <laughs> is uh the best way to to go through life. Um, or, you know, like out. for an, yeah. And I think any aggressive number is going to say, well, I'm not numbed out. Right. Right. I'm not in a coma. They're just in a really fiery, aggressive one. (laughs) It's just a different kind. A feverish one. A feverish one. And it feels really good and active. Yeah. And it is, but it's a different kind of coma. It's a different way of um, not being whole. Yeah. Right? Right. Not living from our true selves. Right. So. Okay. Thanks. So I think our... We loved our number night. That was so yeah. fun. So be watching. Um, I have another one in, in April. April. Mm-hmm. And we learned so much. I learned so much from everyone who was around the table that night. It was great. And um, our next number night, we'll, we'll do something kind of similar to this. We're working that out right mm-hmm. now. And then probably we're do some setting, stance work. We're setting ourselves set up for stance work. Mm-hmm. And ultimately those those number nights will be just one number a night right we'll get into that later in the year Mm -hmm. okay okay thanks for listening bye bye